Welcome to the Big Ideas Monday mini-series, brought to you by the For Your Innovation podcast. Big Ideas is meant to enlighten investors on the long-term impact of innovation. This annual research report seeks to highlight the technological breakthroughs evolving today and creating the potential for super-exponential growth tomorrow. We believe that innovation is taking off now, corroborating our original research and boosting our confidence that ARC strategies are on the right side of change. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. ARC Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by ARC. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by ARC or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by ARC to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARC Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Sam Corris. I'm ARC's Director of Research for Autonomous Technology and Robotics. And today, we're going to be diving into the orbital aerospace section of Big Ideas 2023. Before we get started, we need to touch on the risks of investing in innovation, uh, of which there are many. There's the rapid pace of change. There's the exposure across all sectors and market caps, a lot of uncertainties and unknowns, which make it you know, a risk, but also what make it so exciting and the rapid pace of change there as well. There are regulatory hurdles that come into play, as well as political issues. Um, And obviously, it's a competitive landscape out there with people competing for uh, these big market opportunities ahead. But now that we've gone through the risks, we can dive into the exciting part of orbital aerospace. And at ARC, we often talk about convergence. And orbital aerospace is one of these areas that really takes from every different sector uh, because it's such a complicated uh, and you know hostile environment in space. So it's very complicated. So we're using uh, artificial intelligence to help land rockets and design rockets. We're using uh, 3D printing and robotics for operations. There's mobile connectivity and you know all of these devices connecting to satellites. Uh, so all of these things are tying together to make this possible. But at the very high level, uh, we think that in the coming decade, satellite broadband and hypersonic flight could generate annual revenues of $84 billion and $270 billion, respectively. So very big opportunities, and we're really just at the start of this. And what's driving the big cost decline here is reusable rockets. Uh, And we think that you know, in the coming years, reusable rockets should lower launch costs by an order of magnitude from where they are, uh, or even two. But first, let's look at this chart on the left and kind of see how we got where we are. Uh, if you look back to 2006, you really had, you know, two, two players in space. You had the Russian Soyuz rocket, and you had the United Launch Alliance Atlas V. And over time, these costs just started ballooning. And so you can see, you know, over roughly a decade, both of those costs came in and just steadily increased. And then in 2015, you had SpaceX come in with the Falcon 9, and it wasn't even a revolutionary price. It's actually the same price as the Russian Soyuz cost in 2006. But then what changed everything was 
being able to reuse this rocket. And so if we look over on this chart on the right, you can see the Falcon 9 in 2015 was over $4,000 per kilogram to low Earth orbit. But already in 2022, because of the reusability, it's below $2,000. And we think that the next generation rocket, the Starship rocket, uh, could bring those costs all the way down to $200 per kilogram to low Earth orbit, or even to $20 longer term. And so, you know, some metrics on this, SpaceX uh, has reflown the same booster 14 times now, uh, and doing so allowed them to nearly double its launch cadence, and it launched 61 rockets in 2022. And so with cost declines being so key here and reusability, you know, how do you follow along? What's the key metric to look at? Um, and really the key thing here is that time is uh, a good indication of cost. And so you can see that when SpaceX first reused its rocket in 2017, it took roughly a year to reuse that first rocket. Then last year in uh, 2022, that came all the way down to just 21 days. You can compare that to the space shuttle where the fastest turnaround time was 54 days. And on average, it took 252 days. And so if you're keeping that uh, correlation between time and money, uh, our modeling suggests that uh, it costs less than $1 million to refur refurbish the first stage of a Falcon 9 rocket compared to uh, $1.5 billion for the space shuttle. So that's pretty, pretty profound and changing the uh, competitive landscape and what is possible in space. In fact, it's really opening up uh, a whole new part of space. And so we're going to touch on the difference between LEO, which you see on the left, and GEO. And so what, what are those two acronyms? Well, GEO is geostationary orbit, and those are satellites that sit roughly 22,000 miles above the Earth and are typically very large satellites, and they need to be very powerful because they're so far away. But what's the positive? You know, why, why would you send a geostationary satellite? Well, if launch costs are high, um, you can just send three geostationary satellites up. And since they're so far away, you can cover the whole globe with just three satellites. So you can provide global coverage. Uh, but the downside here is, one, these satellites then stay up there for a very long time, um, you know, 15 plus years. If you're, you know, using a computer, if you've used anything electronic, you know that, you know, in just a couple of years, it can become outdated technology. The other downside is that uh, with it being so far away, there's a lot of latency. So it takes time for a signal to go from the surface of the Earth up 22,000 miles and then back down. And so you can't do things that require low latency, uh, like video calls or, you know, gaming, things, things like that. And then we can talk about LEO, and that's low Earth orbit. And so here, uh, the downside historically was that, you know, they're so close to the Earth that you actually need dozens, thousands, or tens of thousands of these satellites to get global coverage. And if those launch costs are very high, then this is not an economic thing to do. But since you have 
the launch costs that are coming down so dramatically, this opens up the low Earth orbit um, arena for economic activity. And now what's a positive thing here is you have low latency, so you can have uh, incredible, you know, normal like connection through a satellite. And then the other interesting thing is you can put high powered satellites in low Earth orbit. And this is what's allowing uh, all of these companies to all of a sudden come out and offer satellite to smartphone capability. Uh, that was something, you know, if you go back five, 10 years, people thought was not possible. Uh, but now, uh, just in the past year, I think we've had five companies come out. Some have already made it capable. Others are working on announcing it in just the next year or two. Uh, so it's really changed the game as far as what's possible in space. And so this third cost decline, uh, which is opening up the space ecosystem, is the antenna cost decline. And so, you know, you've got launch costs coming down, you've got satellite costs coming down. Uh, but if you need an antenna that costs $10,000 to connect to that satellite, then, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to acquire customers. Uh, but what we're seeing is these costs are falling in line with Wright's law. Uh, and, you know, actually what we see is that we think that the cost of an antenna could drop to $300 by the end of 2027. And what we're seeing is, you know, these costs are already low enough where we're seeing rapid adoption uh, from, you know, the higher end of the market. So uh, SpaceX has over 1 million Starlink terminals deployed. Uh, and actually just today, you know, I'm recording this March 13th, uh, you know, someone from SpaceX came out and said that they have well over 1 million customers. So we're continuing to see uh, demand there and cost declines on the antenna side as well. And so all of these cost declines are coming together uh, and we're actually seeing the uh, elasticity of demand for satellites. And you can see that, you know, from 2018, there were fewer than 2000 satellites orbiting Earth. Uh, in 2022, at the end of the year, there was roughly 5,500. Uh, so more than a doubling in just four years. And if you look at all of the planned satellite launches out there, uh, in the next decade, people want to launch over 100,000 satellites. Uh, so that's, you know, pretty clear demand for launch capability for these satellite constellations. Uh, and, you know, whether or not all of these get launched, I think, is, is something else. Uh, but there's clearly this race to put these constellations in the sky. And so if we wrap all of these things together, uh, there's actually a very interesting rights law application that shows that uh, satellite bandwidth costs are coming down in a consistent fashion. And so satellite bandwidth costs should decline roughly 45% for every cumulative doubling in gigabits per second in orbit. And so, you know, bandwidth, what does that mean? If you're watching Netflix, you know, typically it requires, you know, five to 10 megabits per second in order to stream high definition video. Uh, and so bandwidth is kind of, you know, how much can you, how much data can you move at one time? Uh, and if you look over here on the left side with uh, this very first data point, it used to cost 300 million dollars per gigabit per second in orbit. 
Uh, but now it's already come down to $40,000 per gigabit per second. Uh, so that's a 7,500 fold increase. You know, that, that alone is pretty mind blowing, but you know, we're kind of just at this inflection point and we think it's going to fall another 40 fold from where it is today, uh, with next generation launch capability to just $1,000 per gigabit per second, uh, in the next five years. And so, you know, what does that mean on a tangible level without, you know, bandwidth and all of this? It means that uh, one gigabit per second could serve roughly 200 people uh, using Internet, you know, relatively freely uh, and at a capital cost of $1,000 per gigabit per second. You could recoup your uh, investment with a one time charge of $5 per customer. So all of a sudden, it becomes extremely economic to put uh, satellites for internet broadband in space. And so when we go and we size this opportunity, how do we get to this $84 billion in annual revenue over the next 10 years? Uh, this first bucket, I think, is pretty familiar to a lot of people. It's all of the individuals and households in the world that don't have access to broadband currently. Uh, given that a large portion of these individuals and, and homes are in developing nations, uh, you can see the annual broadband bill would be much lower. Uh, but given the size of that addressable market, that's still a $40 billion opportunity. Um, another big opportunity, this one's you know pretty surprising, is the RV market. Uh, and you know you might wonder why was one of SpaceX's first offerings for RVs? Well, there's roughly 11 million RVs, um, and you know you could charge those, or what SpaceX is trying to charge is roughly $1,600 uh, annually for that connectivity, which would be the $18 billion opportunity uh, for boats as well, for commercial aircraft, um, and we're seeing some of those contracts being signed. Uh, and then you also have you know these bigger ships, cruise ships, warships, commercial ships. And so when you add all of these opportunities together, that's how we come to that $84 billion annual addressable market. Then if we look a little bit further out, uh, there's an even bigger opportunity, we think, for this hypersonic point-to-point -point flight and logistics. And so, you know, the way to think about this is right now it takes, uh, you know, 14, 15 hours to get to Japan from New York. If you were to take a rocket, uh, it could save you roughly 13 hours. You could get there in two to three hours. Um, and if we look at what people and companies are willing to pay for saving time on private flights, it's roughly $15,000 for every two hours saved. So if you're saving 13 hours uh, and you're willing to pay $15,000 for every two hours saved, uh, then in theory, people should be willing to pay $100,000 for this ticket. And uh, if you look, you can kind of see that's kind of the cost that we think it would be today to send a average sized 90 kilogram individual up in a Falcon 9. Uh, you know, we think in the future with those next generation launch capabilities and those costs coming down, you know, it won't necessarily be $100,000. It could actually come down all the way to 18000 in the medium term and maybe $1,800 in the longer term. And at that point, 
you know, you're really competing with normal business class flights. And so, you know, how do we size this opportunity uh, from, you know, the quantity side? There's roughly four and a half billion people who flew in 2018. Uh, this is really only targeting long flights. So 15% of those flights were longer than seven hours. So that gets you to a 680 million passenger opportunity. Uh, and then you're really looking at just the people who can afford to pay for those private flights. So that's just 0.4% of the 680 million, which gets you to 2.7 million people. Uh, and if they're paying, willing to pay $100,000 per hypersonic flight, that gets you to this $270 billion in annual revenue opportunity. And as costs come down, uh, we could see this market expand beyond that. So thank you. That was uh, a lot of detail, I think, for you know, how we're thinking about orbital aerospace. And I welcome all of you to go to our website to download the full Big Ideas 2023 deck. Uh, and you can see this incredible modeling for all of the different areas where we're focused. Thank you. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results. Certain of the statements contained in this podcast may be statements of future expectations and other forward-looking statements that are based on ARC's current views and assumptions, and involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results, performance, or events to differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements.